Welcome to Challenging Paradigm X. My name is Xerxes Waschengear. In my podcast, I interview people who challenge the status quo. Amongst other things, in this episode, we will talk about sex and business. And if, for example, the sexual energy at the workplace can be transformed into boosting your business and career. We'll talk about if the corona pandemic will lead to massive shifts for humanity. And also about the challenges that we are facing with artificial intelligence and who should decide about the future of AI and eventually the future of humanity. My guest today is Bobby Bidochka. Amongst other things, Bobby works for a tech company, runs her own events company, is the vice president of a third company, and is just about to publish her book, Sex and Business. So if you're interested in these topics and this multipotentialite personality, stay tuned. So hi, here's Xerxes, and today I'm here with Bobby Vidochka. It's uh, great to have you here, Bobby. Thanks, and, my pleasure. And yes, could you please introduce yourself and tell us who you are? Sure. Uh, so my name is Bobby Bidochka, and I'm a multi-potentialite and someone who just gets themselves involved in a multitude of projects. I'm tech by day and imagination, imagine ideation by night, which is like a connector, rethinking, you know, human interactions type of type of consulting work. I'm a writer. I'm involved in human impact lab, just kind of do a bunch of things that hopefully, you know, move the world forward in a, in a better way. And so please tell us why do you do what you do? It's, it sounds a bit cliche, but it's really about impact. Like what I'm, I'm, what I'm looking to do is just do things that go a bit beyond just helping people, but, you know, really actually have, have the, op the chance that can change paradigms or change the way that systems operate or influence, you know, major decision-making, you know, that's the, the ultimate goal. And so I'll work on that incrementally up, up until, but the idea is, is to do things that kind of make the world a better place. And you do this in various different jobs in various different positions in various different projects. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So Would we're just like going to try to hit it, you know, hit it on, on all fronts. Would you like to give us some background on that? Sure. So, I mean, the, during the day I work for a tech company and their, you know, their, their main business is getting more research out of, out of universities and out into the world that can have a greater impact, big, big technologies, not, you know, not just apps or anything like that, but, you know, also, so my, my business, Imagine Ideation, this is about how to, How can we connect people better? You know, a lot of people go to events or conferences and sort of leave a bit want, wanting more and didn't really get to the people that they wanted to get to. You know, a lot of the content that's at conferences for the most part are, is content that you can get, you know, anywhere. I mean, it's, it's available out there. So people are really going more for the, for the relationships. And so 
I find that a lot of a lot of these types of events, you know, not everybody's a natural networker. Not everybody knows how to find the the right people in the room and and build those relationships that actually has something meaningful afterwards. And to just general introductions and connections through through people, facilitating those people who who need some help or you know just have an offering and and who who can who how can I connect better? How can we connect better with people? So that's that's a big part of the business there. And you know my book, Sex and Business, is you know you, you might not think that you know these two words necessarily go together, but they actually really do. And this book is really meant to it's a reaction, my reaction from the Me Too movement, but really I talk a lot about, I'm kind of calling into question how people form identity and the usefulness or not of of these identities and how they impede or impact, you know, how we react to certain things like the Me Too movement and feminist movements and, and all of these kinds of things. There's also how people approach sex, not as intercourse, but meaning you know, all of the other benefits that sort of come from from sexual energy that can actually positively impact your business or your career is you can channel these these energies and, you know, their their flow triggers, things like that. And so just people I think they're trying to like cut the whole sex relationship thing like right out of the workplace, which is impossible because you cannot fight biology. And better to leverage the positive side of things. And so there's a lot of discussion about power relations and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's, I think, quite paradigm shifting entirely, because people really have, you know, like, sex is both, it's like what Foucault talks about, sex is both, like, whoever controls the conversation has the power over the topic. And so, you know, sex is both taboo and yet talked about in everything, every music, every video, every movie, it's it's everywhere. And yet people, you know, so this is a very interesting dichotomy. And, you know, when all those topics come into play, like, like, you know, Me Too movement and or anything else, actually, that's, you know, really matters, people tend to take a binary point of view, which I think is uh, like the wrong approach to almost everything. You know, there's a concept called gray thinking, which is you can have conflicting opinions. So I can think two opposite opinions about the same thing. And that doesn't mean that, that, you know, I don't stand for something. It just means like that there's, it's, I would, I would argue that it's almost nearly impossible to fully have a, you know, binary point of view on anything. But I think people grab onto that because it attaches to identity. So there's, so that's, that's pretty interesting to me. And then also the human impact lab, which we're sort of in the middle of transitioning what we're going to do with it, but it was it originally started as a climate sort of awareness type of group, but we'd like to sort of transition into doing, you know, more meaningful practical projects that involved anything. I mean, the criteria is we will basically help businesses or ideas move forward so long as they have some type of positive impact to the world or to humans or what have you. So it's it's pretty broad, the, the scope right now, but we just feel like we want to take more, more action on that, on for, on furthering different ideas and concepts. Um, so yeah, that's how all of that is kind of manifesting right now. So you are doing really a lot of things and different <laughs> things. Yeah. I think between the first and the second, I 
saw a connection in the sense of identity and connection, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's the same with the third project. Let's go maybe into the first one. I would talk, like to talk about all of them a bit at least. So, sure. Especially now when it comes to the first project that you talked about, where it is about events. So you organize events or you... How can I understand it? You, you consult on how to organize events? What What is it? What are you doing Both, there? All of it. So we organize okay. events. So we can do the whole turnkey start to finish thing. But what we don't just like set up a venue and bring food and sell tickets and that's that. It's it's a lot a much more involved process. The events that that we uh, like to participate in are ones where you're bringing a lot of different stakeholders. Usually the, the content is a bit more meaty, maybe of an academic uh, nature or just something a little bit more substantial. And also, you know, sitting down with our partners, just working out in quite in advance what it is that you want to achieve with this event so it's 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 really thought through and then you come up with what the outcomes that you really want to have how will we achieve those how are we going to measure that and then how do you you know tell this story throughout you know everything needs to be weaved in like the the catering the venue the content everything that people are seeing and doing needs to tell the same story so this is very much the experience and the transformation like the idea here is that people are coming they're going to be transformed and i don't mean like in a religious way i mean like they've come to learn and experience and even just by osmosis by being in the environment they are absorbing the messaging they are they are learning something so this is this is the idea from start to finish, but we also consult with people. We help facilitate introductions, have smaller meetings. Sometimes the meetings are, are small. We're just working out, helping people whiteboard ideas, things like that. And yeah, I mean, right now it's, it's, we cannot meet physically. So, you know, one might think that that impacts the business and, and it does to a certain extent, but there's, we're noticing there's still that quite a lot can be done. And I, I'm surprised actually, at how well I am still able to sort of make friends and make connections digitally and get to know people and feel like, wow, I'm somehow this, that thing that that needs to happen sort of face to face is happening virtually. I think it's, it's really interesting. I mean, maybe it has to do with the fact that people are a little bit less guarded, you know, they're at home, maybe they have their pajamas on, <laughs> you know, people are seeing their kids, their cats and whatever. And so there's a bit, maybe it's just that is allowing the connection to happen despite not being, you know, I'm a huge proponent of face-to-face. -face. Anybody I can have a meeting with, I don't want to have a phone call. It's like the worst way. I really want to be in front of someone. I really want to like get close. And there's actually neuroscience that, 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 you know, scientifically proves like when you, you and I are sitting beside each other and we're like super engaged and we're talking that our brains actually like literally start to sink. And so of course you, you miss that virtually. And like, I feel it when I have a really great connection and meeting someone, I'm like, I feel it. This is why, and this feeling is why that sort of drives me to help people do better networking and help people have better events. Because this to me is like magic this like nothing gets my my blood pumping and my all the chemicals flowing better than like than this and so you know if you can 
just amplify that and and maximize and make more and optimize then this is like this is what we should be doing so i would i would be very interested in what your take is now with the current situation when it comes to exactly that events where people connect and perhaps even connect on a deep basis get to know each other start to talk about new things create new projects and so on and so forth i personally work as a speaker as well and for me really this is a big question how will the future of events be will there mm -hmm. be events and uh, how will they be will there be more virtual events uh, and so on and so forth so mm -hmm. i'm sure you have thought about this in the last couple of weeks a lot yeah definitely what projection do you have or what ideas do you have and would it be possible in your opinion to create similar types of deep connections although people do not meet in person mm -hmm. i think so i have a few opinions about that it's i mean definitely the events industry itself it will change it will change because now that everybody's sort of been forced online now there's systems set up and so once Once people realize that, oh, you know, we can kind of run this event or do certain things online where they probably were thinking of it before, but now it's, it's getting a bit, you know, embedded. So people are getting used to it. People are doing it. They're sort of working out some of the kinks and this will go on through the next year or so, like up until, for sure, up until there's a vaccine and this is like really sorted out, this, this will go on like this for a while. Having said that, there there will still be in-person events in the future. What I think will happen and it'll, it'll look like, like there's certain events that are, have a really high ticket to go to and people fly, you know, from all over the world to go to certain events. And so they can get rather costly. So I think what some of those bigger events will do is they'll do like a hybrid. So they'll have an in-person version. I also think and hope that people like Zoom or other companies are trying to come up with a better product that will facilitate that. As a massive shift, I completely think that there will be no massive shift in people. Is it the, you know, like the way the events will do this hybrid thing, it's it's just because now they've found a new revenue stream and, and they've been forced to sort of put it into, into, into operation now. So why not continue and make money off of it later? I don't think that there's going to be any major shift in how humanity operates after two to three years. Once the market bounces back and everybody's kind of got back to normal, people will forget about this. Like two, three months hanging out at home. For the most part, this is not enough to affect change, right? It's, this is, there are some people who are suffering. There are some like frontline workers are seeing things on a daily basis that, you know, they can never unsee. But I would say for, for the most part, for most people in the Western world, I'll, what, what am I doing? I'm just hanging out at home. Like I'm not seeing any tragedy. I'm not like this, this, that's pretty hard to affect massive change in people's mindsets on how they think about the environment or how they think about the economy. When all I had to do was just hang out at home for two, three months. Like it's just not enough. So it's, I, my prediction is after two to three years, people will, they, they, this will just be a blip on it's like, Oh yeah. Remember when that was weird, huh? And then they will continue on with their capitalist 
endeavors and we will have both fully smogged China and no changes in recycling practices. Like it's just, that's my prediction. Okay. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love to say, oh, humanity, we're going to, we're all going to be like better people and, and we're going to start addressing mental health better because of all this. And yeah, no, we won't. It's going to take a lot more than that. I hope it's not like this. Mm. I think it really depends on how bad it will still get. I mean, I don't think three months staying at home makes a big change. But I'd see what happens with the economy. So, yeah. And yeah. I think that, that, that will, I personally think that will make a difference if, if the economy is hit really hard or if it's just another recession. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think if it's hit really hard, there might be chance for a true deep transformation. This is my personal opinion. But yeah, otherwise, like, I'm fully with you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's on an individual level, people can make their, their change. And I, people are, are, there's, there's no doubt that there's the hunger to do that. If you take a look at the transformation economy and how much money and time people put into that, there's definitely a desire to do that. But systematically, and like habitually, it's you would you got to really have something hit you hard as a society to make a massive change in a quick way. Like things happen incrementally over time. You know, I mean, think about there was no such thing as recycling or what have you 20, you know, 30, 35 years ago. But to make to affect a massive change for an entire society or country or nation or, you know, whatever you want to call your collective. The world. Yeah, you really got to have like something that hits you hard. Yeah. And I personally think it's not the coronavirus. I think it could be what comes after the coronavirus. But this is what I wanted to say before, basically. So I'm with you when when you say absolutely with you 100% just staying at home for three months. Yeah, we will think back to that. But it really depends on how hard the, the, the economic crisis will hit. And I think this is perhaps the biggest chance for us as a humanity mm-hmm. to initiate a big transformational process. Mm-hmm. But this would only happen if if we are talking about a bigger crisis than than in the 1930s. And we will yeah. see. If yeah, it, that's if it. it does happen, then this is one of the biggest uh, chances for humanity. And if it doesn't happen, I mean, there will be a lot of painful losses in many ways and uh, a lot of poverty and problems Mm -hmm. for many people and so on and so forth. But at the other end, I think it would be a major chance for humanity to make, make a shift towards another system, basically. Yeah. So I mean, it's kind of, it's the irony of it all where you, I mean, and maybe it's a bit controversial to say, but you don't want to wish for tragedy, but at the same time, it's like, you know, that that's what it's going to take to affect change. So it's like, do you, it's like with kids, do you want to, if you keep saving them from their fall, they sort of never really learn from the pain. Exactly. And it's like in everyone's personal life, because we, as people, as individual people, we usually only change if we saw some had some mm-hmm. major painful experience in our comfort zone most people don't change so i'm absolutely with you i personally think we have two major challenges in this decade at least one is the climate crisis or i would actually say the environmental crisis because i don't mm-hmm. think it's just the climate 
Agreed. And the other thing is artificial intelligence and how it is a challenge mm -hmm. to us as as humanity in the sense of that it raises the question what it means to be human. So I, I personally think that is um, that these are the two major challenges. Mm -hmm. So and now we have this crisis through the Corona pandemic. And it, at least one of these two crises might be actually also really affected. And that's the climate and the environmental issue through the this pandemic as well, indirectly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So maybe you want to give us some more background on these projects that you're working on or, or what you're doing, if you can, I don't know in which stage they are, if you are able to talk uh, about the projects or at least what the aim is and in which direction it generally goes. Mm -hmm. I mean, for Human Impact Lab, it was, it was, it started out as environmental and, and climate change focused and they had like a ticker going on their website, sort of counting down to a particular time when I don't know, it's going to be too late or something like that. This was before my time. And so, you know, but then sort of the, the, the leadership, they ended up going and working on different projects. And so with one of the original founders, now I've joined up with him, Al-Samad, and we're going to try to sort of take it in and take it to the next level by, like I said, you know, taking on different projects that uh, have some kind of impact. We're super excited about the direction that's going to go. And, you know, when you think about a circular economy, that both feeds in with two environmental aspects as well. And that also connects to, you know, more local supply chain and things like that. So I think it's, you know, that could be interesting if we could figure out a decent model on how that could, uh, you know, be implemented in a, in a rather quick way, then that's something, you know, a toolkit can be built and other, other places can replicate that with any hope. And sort of, we need to sort of run these two, these two infrastructures at the same time. Like there's people... People can't afford necessarily to always, there's a reason why not everybody shops organic because it's more expensive and um, it's more expensive because of, you know, labor laws in certain countries. So that that's going to be um, an, 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 a hurdle to, to overcome in different kinds of ways. So there's that. And then, you know, sustainable farming, that's, you know, both a health concern and an environmental concern so figuring out how to how to adjust that because you know the, the meat production is one of if not the biggest contributor to greenhouse or carbon emissions so you know that's an issue too and yeah it i mean it all connects there but for the ai thing that's that's super interesting i mean we're so i work for a tech company and so i'd say a good three quarters of of the tech companies that we've recently started have an AI component to them, although AI is not as of a real thing as people think it is in their imaginations. Like, it's more still really at the machine learning, deep learning stages. AI is, is the, 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 the way that people envision AI who don't have a tech background isn't really where it's at now. I, I don't think people need to be too concerned about um, robots taking over the world in any any time most especially because like you said the AI we are we are 
machine learning and AI is only as good as the, the how we train it. And so there's a woman I know, she has a chatbot company in California, and they've done a pretty massive study of, of how people treat chatbots. And so every all the communication that you have with the chatbot then teaches the chatbot, right? So as we use it, it, it learns. The problem is, is that most of the time we are abusing chatbots. We are abusing Siri. And so it... The, the sheer amount of abuse that we display to our our digital counterparts, I guess you could call them, is is a disturbing reflection of humanity, in fact. So, you know, we'd like to think that we are civilized and, you know, respectable, nice people, but the data doesn't show that. So that's a bit of a concern, just as just normal, you know, daily behaviors, never mind trying to teach humor and other types of things to, to machine learning is, is there's a lot of parts of the human that will be very difficult to, to train. In my TEDx talk, also I talked about uh, the rules and the paradigms that we a program into artificial intelligence. I personally compare it to like the Ten Commandments. We humans, I usually say, we are coined by our religions, even if we are not religious, because we grow up in societies that a culture is basically a continuation of a process, a societal process over certain amount of time and a few mm -hmm. cultures are a few thousand years old a few cultures are maybe a few hundred years old mm -hmm. and usually the rules and the paradigms were always defined by religion mm -hmm. so even if i'm not a religious person even if i'm an atheist still i'm coined by the my society that i've i've grown up with so mm -hmm. with this background i always say the rules and the paradigms that we program into the ai or train ai with is basically what the result of artificial intelligence is. Do, do you see it? Is, is basically what you said, just like what I'm reflecting now? Or it is. I mean, you're way? you're right. It's it's the. I mean, if you even look at just Google Google searches and how people so anything that gets programmed is programmed from a biased point of view. And so if, if for, the, for the longest time, the people who were doing the programming were white Christian males. And so that those systems got set up to reflect, you know, when you're, when you make a connection, when I say doctor, you think white man, when you say nurse, you think white woman, you know, and so there's teacher, all these, because it's all about connections, right? So they have to keep making all these words connect to one another in the way that they think that people think so that when you type in something, you get back the results that you're looking for. And it's, it's the same for everything. So all of the, the way that the, all the data gets um, input and the way that things get programmed are from a biased point of view. And, and it's, it's not from malice. That's just, it's, that's just how it is. And that this will, will shift when now we're doing, you know, there's a lot of programs that, you know, getting them done in China or getting done in India, and it's it's the same thing. So they will have their biases that gets gets you know put into the system, and it it it, it will all reflect. And so it's 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 true that whatever you're sort of brought up with in your your belief systems will 
this shows up in data is not neutral. There is no neutral machine learning. There's like they can try their best, but and having diverse teams helps helps tremendously if you can get that from the beginning but already a lot of the systems are already built with with the bias and so yeah it's yeah there's really no such thing as neutral anyway and do you believe that it would make a difference for the future also i mean there is these scenarios that you also referred to before that uh, artificial intelligence will take over that people think that we are maybe near to the stage and so on and so forth. Do you personally think that how we program artificial intelligence today, tomorrow, will also have an effect how artificial intelligence, if it ever reaches the point of super intelligence, um, singularity, however you might want to call it, mm-hmm. if that would make will make a difference, how we basically which paradigms, which rules, which dogmas we program into them? Or do you think it's... I mean, that's a big, that's, that's a tough one because if you just look at the United Nations, so this is supposed to be, you know, a group of nations coming together to try to agree on certain things, but getting even any, any type of, you know, declarations are ratified throughout because different people have different perspectives of what they think are good and bad things and right and wrong and the thing to do not to do. And so what will happen is the people who say have power or money will end up being the creators of the system. You know, there's also this saying, it's the victors who write history. And so it will be those systems that get built with those beliefs in them, because those were the people who had access to do it, have the money to do it. They, they, they won't reflect all humans at all times. And I'm, not even sure that that would be a good idea anyways. It's what I, what I, I, I mean, maybe I, I, I'm both an idealist and <laughs> a bit of a, I don't know what to call it. I mean, so I, I, I do believe in construction, constructivism where, you know, we are creating our own, our own systems. Nothing is really set, but at the same time, you know, we, think we're under the illusion that we are a civilized society and really what keeps us glued together and acting appropriately is a mix of religion and law because if we didn't have those two systems set up it would just result back to you know chaos and very animalistic you know i mean you could just you could just look throughout history whenever those two things break down and people just start getting violent and going crazy and And so it's in us, it's in us. And I, I think it's, if if we can come to terms and admit that when we're creating these types of systems, then we can be more careful about um, trying to build systems that reflect some type of morality and ethics in the, in the hope. If you can program that in, I mean, how do you, you can't deprogram the animal in us, but maybe we can program in some higher moral ethical ground but it would need to be super intentional because if, if they don't do that and they just sort of make a reflection of us without admitting, you know, all of our downfalls, then what you will get is a very nasty, <laughs> it will be a nasty world. I think human beings aren't all that nice all the time, unfortunately. Well, I mean, 
it is said, I don't know how it is exactly termed, but I think in the Bible it says God has created men and women in his or her own image. So this is basically what's happening with artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. in a way. In a so, way. I wonder from your perspective, who do you think should decide how we go forth in this respect? Like, how we program artificial intelligence, uh, how the long-term perspective of developing artificial intelligence should be yeah another big question it's 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 a bit of a conundrum because if if one believed in democracy in you know in in its best form that actually is nowhere implemented so democracy in an ideal version doesn't exist but if it could it would be better to be able to survey more people for input into those types of decisions. Unfortunately, there's not enough people who spend enough time educating themselves on all the aspects for what it would take in order to build an ethical and you know really great um, system of, of AI or uh, singularity or what have you. And, and so it's it's you cannot actually rely on say the general public or the masses to make good decisions based on that and not because they're bad but just because everybody doesn't have enough information to make an informed decision i would say that's the problem with democracy as a whole people who vote don't actually make informed decisions for the most part and so this is this is the issue so then what ends up happening is people who do have the money and the knowledge are ultimately the ones who end up making those decisions. And so it, it again, it boils down to who's got the power to do it and who has the education to do it. And that's, that's how, it'll, that's how it'll go. So I don't know who those people will be ultimately, but anyone who's, you have to be in this, in this sphere, like it's one who doesn't understand deep learning and machine learning and data and, and computer science and and how all of these things really work. And I, I, I'm not that person either. I cannot claim these are, I'm just, I, I absorb a lot of information, but I can't program myself. But so I, I wouldn't be one who could make an informed decision. I can give opinions like, yes, please make them moral. But beyond that, you know, how do, how does one do that? I have no idea. And so it's it's those people that will ultimately there, there's no other way you, you can't ask people how to do things that they don't know how to do it so i wonder like in an ideal world from your perspective less of who's making those decisions now but from your perspective with your background and you have an eclectic background and uh, perhaps have a very different view on reality and the importance of what needs to happen in the future than people who don't have this type of broad background and are more experts in one particular field. But from your personal perspective, in an ideal world, who should make the decisions how it goes forth with artificial intelligence? And basically the future of humanity, if you want to say. Well, I mean, it'll sound a bit elitist, but I do think that you need a mix of backgrounds and a mix of 
people who think about ethics and people who think about philosophy and people who are well read and people who are you don't necessarily have to be have a phd but people who understand and think about humanity like you have to be interested in forwarding humanity and sort of in that sphere so call if you want to just call them like say phil philosophers not classical philosophers but just people who philosophize and and who think about these big things so big thinkers plus the people who actually can execute so you you need to have people who have grand grand visions and can actually together collaborate and envision how how what, what a world could be like and not everybody can do that and then you also need groups of people who actually can execute on that and when you are having those types of discussions with people then you know what can be done what can be done as far as people who are just funding the project they should have no decision making um, unless they are one of these two groups shouldn't be anybody political unless you fall into one of these two groups like it it needs to be yeah visionaries and experts uh, a mix from everywhere um, it doesn't really matter what is your what country you're from or what religion you're from. If you fall into those two camps, like I can't think of anybody else who would be able to do that well. You know, when you're thinking about, you have to sort of have a, a humanities point of view, understanding all the different sociological, anthropological, policy, cultural. Like you have to be able to think about all of these things, sort of all the impacts. Yeah. I don't know what group you could call these, and I have no idea how you would you would um, fix the criteria. But yeah, it's, it's big thinkers, basically. Okay, I would really like to go into the other topic, the book you're writing, and mm -hmm. basically the topic behind, which is uh, sex and business. Is that yes. also the title of the book? That is the title. Yeah. So, yeah. would you like to give us? Some background, elaborate on this book, also why you are writing it, what your perspective is, what your vision is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, it's it was it started out as my reaction to the Me Too movement. And my reaction was that I was finding that, you know, so there's real sort of sexual violence, sexual harassment that's happening over on sort of this side of things, which is super important to address. People need to speak up, people need to be prosecuted, like all of this is extremely important. At the same time, there's other sort of stuff over here that sort of bumps up again, so it looks like it, but it's not it that that maybe is like, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. You know, biology is, is, it's there, you, it's not going anywhere. People will still meet and like each other. We spend a lot of time at work and with business colleagues. So, so that's going to happen. I don't think that it's, it's the role of the workplace to write policy out against that. I, I have, I take issue with 
some of the reactions that happened because of it, because so people started to get scared. Okay, well, I don't want to have a, a meeting alone with a woman because what if something gets said and misinterpreted and then I get in trouble and I'm fired. And so, you know, having a third party present in a meeting. Now, if, if you and I are going on a business trip, we're not supposed to sit beside each other on the airplane. We can't go for dinner because of whatever. And I just, I'm just adamantly against all of that because for me, this impedes my relationship building. So I need to be able to go for, for dinner or for drinks, or if I need to travel with people, I don't want to be impeded by any of that. I'm an adult. I can make my own decisions. If somebody is flirting with me and I don't like it, I have no problem to fix that situation. I've never encountered any any situation that I couldn't deal with effectively. At the same time, you know, when you are flirting and you when you are discussing with people, it is a there's something that happens. Like so there's something nice that happens. Sometimes if, if there's a bit of an attraction, then that's like an energy that you can channel. And so I, I think that that's a lost opportunity where you can take that and there's like, I think it's called a, sexu- a sexual a transmutation where you can actually take all of that sexual energy you have and like channel it into being more creative and having more energy and motivation. And so you can, you know, like I said, it's a flow trigger. So you can get that report you know, uh, written and blasted out quicker than before. And so there's, there's lots of neurochemicals that, that can get ignited, um, when you either, even just from flirting or all the way to having sex, you know, all the neurochemicals. So there's like, you know, different types of neurochemicals that get firing in the brain that are, are really beautiful thing. And I, I don't think that people should avoid that. It can help you build your business. It can help you be more creative. I'm talking about also different types of groups. Like when I'm talking about feminism and I I bring in all this sort of the infighting within feminism just to draw people to the point that it's really not about necessarily about men versus women. It's not this gender versus that gender because within within feminism, there's plenty of fighting going on. They don't all agree on what's important and the thing to do either. And with men too, I've had a lot, hundreds of conversations with guys and there's plenty of competition and fighting within, within you know, males as well. You know, there's a lot of males who struggle with their identity, especially these days where, okay, so if I'm not the breadwinner anymore, what does that mean for my masculinity? If I can't be aggressive and I can't be assertive, then I don't know what it means to be a man anymore. And so they've got their own stuff. So it's, it's not like it's a solid group of men and a solid group of women and we're like fighting for power. And then I talk about power as well. A lot of the dynamics there about controlling the conversation and how you know sex has become more academic in the conversation than anything else. And so when people, that's why there's a lot of talk about different identities and pronouns and things like that. And so it's controlled um, in a very academic way. And yet, you know, Pornhub is the number one visited website in the world. Like there's the, the, the sheer amount of money that gets spent on sex is indicative to the level of importance. And yet, you know, it's, it's somehow like we're trying to like, 
work, get that out of the workplace, get that out of business. It's like, I don't, I don't see that's how that's even possible. Yeah. So I'm talking a lot about different, different things about negotiation and how, how that sort of goes down historically between men and women and, and how women can, and I encourage them to be like, if, listen, if you want to be a feminine woman and wear a skirt and flirt and whatever, like, then do that. And if you want to be that woman that wears a suit and acts like a man, like do that. It really boils down to choice. Like do what you want to do. And as long as we're all making, you know, adult decisions, then and dealing with things in a, in a rational way, then I think most of those issues will be solved. I also think that power is not owned by men. Men just happen to grab it. It's there for everyone to like to take. And I, I think that women sort of, there's like this self-talk about society tells women, oh, well, you're not confident. Oh, therefore they start acting like not confident. And I've had people come out, oh, Bobby, well, that's easy for you to say you're confident. I'm not like, well, you're not because you say you're not. And that has nothing to do with your gender and everything to do with your personality. And so it's, that's, that's your, your mindset. It's not, you can blame your gender, but. If, if I am and you're not, then that, that just destroys the, the whole gender thing right there. And then so people are like, okay, well, you know, you're, you're tall and you're blonde, so it's easy for you. I'm like, hey, no, because there's some stereotypes about blonde people that's still there, which I don't care. Like, people can think that. Go right ahead. As soon as you're going to talk to me, you're going to figure out I'm not that stupid. But... It's like, there's someone for everyone. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of people who think uh, everybody loves all kinds of people. So there's always going to be someone who desires you. So, you know, don't worry about that. There's, there's someone for everyone. And it really, I mean, I know a lot of people that maybe aren't, what do you call it, the, the beauty standard that a magazine would consider but I see them and I just think that they are so incredibly gorgeous and they have a personality that kind of like, so you just love them. So it really has, has very little to do with these, these false standards of beauty that, that, you know, different types of industries portray. It's more about the people. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's ultimately about like, let's just get real. It's a real get real kind of a slap in the face. I'm criticizing women. I'm criticizing men. I'm telling women they're great. I'm telling men they're great. It's like, it's all, here's all the great things. And let's just like get over ourselves and, and all of this kind of stuff without, you know, again, it's still take seriously these issues over here. The, the real, the real lawbreakers. This is, that's a different, I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. And, you know, just the, the great thinking that I can, I can think two things at once nothing's binary. You don't need to, your identity can be flexible. Don't let it restrict you. Stuff like that. So that's basically what the book's about. And I, I hope that a whole bunch of people like it. And then a whole bunch of people hate it. Um, because the idea is, well, there's going to be a lot of people who really won't like a lot of things that I'm saying. And that's okay. Cause it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not um, a PhD. I'm not a sexologist. I have an opinion and I hope that it sparks conversation. If, if nothing else, just, just change the narrative of the conversation right now. Cause it's very much taken over by 
just like, I don't, I don't want people to be walking on eggshells anymore. Like, Oh, can I, so pre COVID let's, let's just step back pre COVID. If we're in the same room, if you touch my arm or if you say something about what I'm wearing, are you going to get in trouble? Like, I just want all of that to just be like, okay, get over it already. If you want to compliment me, go right ahead. If you don't, that's okay too. You know, if, if, if you ask me out, I can say no, it's okay. Like, and then we can continue on. It doesn't need to, we don't need to make a thing out of everything. There's bigger fish to fry. So basically the, the way I understand it is that you're, you write about sex in life, basically, with the focus on business, but about sex in life, what it means, which role it has without all the taboo, taboo around it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You talk about male abuse and or how it's from a position of male abuse maybe now shifts to a position of female abuse. Do I understand it correctly? Well, I, I'm not using the word abuse, but it, it's there's been there's definitely a power shift as far as controlling the narrative and what what I, I I consider it to be like three camps of people. So there's say the women and men who are who are talking about the issues that are really salient, that are really real, the sexual harassment, sexual violence, all of this, this is a real thing. Then there's the people in the middle who are are misinterpreting or just overblowing certain things like oh my god he put his his hand on my knee and i didn't know what to do and when you could have just dealt with that and it might not turn into anything and you know if that guy happens to ask out every woman that he has has a meeting with i mean yeah that guy's got a problem but maybe he just likes you it, it could be or yeah. maybe people also maybe he's got a, an issue himself like he feels lonely he feels something that you don't know about and he's maybe he's not going about dealing with his issues in the right way but that doesn't make him a criminal you know what i mean and so it's it's there's some stuff that's in the middle it's a little bit messy i'm like i'm not saying that there's like a silver bullet fix to this but i feel like those situations are not the same at level could probably be dealt with better a one-on-one -on -one locally and you don't need to ruin each other's lives and make a big public thing thing about it necessarily and then there's unfortunately another third okay these aren't exact numbers but there's another section of of i would say women that are playing the card when they shouldn't when they've misinterpreted a situation such as i have a male colleague he got the raise i didn't he got it because he's a man and i didn't get it because i'm a woman when in fact you could be just incompetent like that is a possibility And so it's, it's, and then they play, play the card when they don't know for sure that that's really the issue and, or they know it's not that, but they're playing the card anyways, because it's powerful. And it's those, that group of people that actually ruin it for the people over here that are really trying to do real things. And so it's, so I'm, I'm talking about all of that. So it's, I mean, men do their own side of the abuse, which is they are abusing their power for the purpose of achieving sex. And there's also women abusing now this power as a way to, you know, to do whatever. So it's, there's a lot of, there's, 
there's some of that going on. I, I wouldn't say there's a lot of it, but there's too much of it, I guess you could say. And again, it's just, people are just a bit scared and on eggshells. And I think if we just talk out some of this stuff a little bit better, then we can sort of get more clarity. And So if I understand it correctly, basically you're talking about a healthy way to deal with sex in business and what yeah. sex means in the non taboo way yeah and which yeah. role it has in our life and through mm -hmm. that automatically in business outside of abusing the topic not yeah. necessarily the other person but the topic in one way or the other yeah exactly okay. so it's approaches yes. how we're approaching this yeah yeah mm. sounds very interesting will be so when will it be published well, it's at the editor right now. The goal is soon. Which paradigms do you feel like, think, and would like to see to be challenged in your fields of expertise for humanity in general, however you would like to go forth? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess it would be a mix of... A capitalist point of view like what what I see is a, a problem with I guess Western society right now is that everybody thinks that they're entitled to be super successful and have lots of money and that everyone has the ability and the opportunity to do that which actually leads to a lot of frustration and stress and so having this sort of ideal on the plate we're sort of i guess raised a, a bit at least my generation was to think well you have all the opportunities in the world you can do anything you want etc etc when in fact you know globally that's just not possible and it's also unlikely because if everybody could be have all this money and have all of this whatever you define as as success it would be It just that's not how humanity seems to work. Everyone can't be on this level. It seems like we are vertically operating. When you think about even, you know, the animal kingdom or how we classify plants and all of our biology, it's all very much a ver vertical classification. So despite the fact that everyone wants to believe that we can all be all of this, I'm not so sure that that's a achievable or even like a good idea. And so it's, then you, you leave people unsatisfied with a simple life. Like if someone just wants to do just this, they're kind of need to feel like, well, that's not okay. because you're not, you're not achieving your maximum potential and you're not, you could do all of this. You know, I mean, I think even the same thing happens in religion. There's a, There's everything from someone who just very almost never does participate in their religion all the way up to, you know, the most pious, the, you know, your, your Sufi, your, your monks, everything. And like that you should be, you know, always striving towards the ultimate of enlightenment. And if you're not, you're somehow like a bad Christian or a bad Muslim or whatever. And so there's sort of like this weird shaming thing where it's like, can we not just find a way to be okay with where we're at and like and so I fault capitalism ultimately although there's really no other 
like financial paradigm that I could think of that would work well um, for all of humanity. It's we've we've tried socialism, but I think there's too much greed in in humans in or in order to actually achieve that in any kind of idealistic type of way. Like there's really just there's no utopia. And I'm wondering if if people could get okay with that. And then, you know, with social media also doesn't help with all of these types of stories and posts and everything. Everyone just it's a big bragging session of here's all the great stuff I do. Either that or it's a dumping ground where people are telling everybody everything about their depression and everything. And it's like I'm not sure that that's such a good a good thing. So I mean, I don't have a solid answer for your question, but maybe, I mean, capitalism doesn't, isn't working. Like in the long run, it's, it's just going to keep causing problems. So a financial paradigm shift definitely needs to happen. And then I, I think by nature, the environmental paradigm will shift along with that because those two things are super connected. You know, we're, we're overpopulated in most areas. There's too much of a, of a difference in, in equity. You know, it's very rich, very poor, lots of poor people. There's really no reason for it other than people just want to keep their money, right? So it's, that's a, that's a big question. It's, I would start with capitalism. That would be the, the first thing to start with. And social, I, I hope that this social media stuff is a phase. I, I don't think social media as in its current state is very helpful to society. I would, I would love to see some type of that. That's something that could immediately happen. I mean, it's really relatively new. And so it could potentially disappear just as quick, but it's as the way that it's formed right now, it's, I think it's really detrimental to, to people. I don't know. What's your thought on that? Social media in particular or everything you say? Social, well, okay, everything, but social media in particular. Well, I think how social media is developing is definitely not healthy in various aspects. Well, similar as you said, at the one hand, you have a lot of people dumping a lot of things. At the other hand, you have a lot of people just showing off and in any case, it is to a big extent uh, very superficial, uh, showing a very superficial life within social media bubbles, like perhaps also in real life. There is a true potential of, of course, uh, connecting in different ways with people. But when we look at social media, how old is it now? It's like 15 years approximately. So when we look at how things evolve and cultures evolve it's it's very young at the very young stage and uh, i'm pretty sure that at the stage when it's 50 that it will be very different in many respects so i think it can develop uh, in a good way but at the moment really i think also when it comes to communication to politics to the spread of uh, fake news for example uh, a lot of hatred, a lot of misinformation, and so on and so forth. That's a major problem. It's mm -hmm. a big problem. So that's all the negative part. But the basic possibilities through social media, I think they are good.
Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't get... be talking right now if it wasn't for exactly. social media. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it definitely has its, I just, human beings tend to not, I wish they use things more for good than for evil, kind of, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. When it comes to our current economic system, I personally think that uh, there's a reason why we do have, well, we have had this system until now. Capitalism, from my perspective, has been created in a time when there were no corporations. So the rules that have been defined, um, the ideas that have been defined for capitalism were when one grocery store was competing with another grocery store, not an organic store around the corner with Walmart, for example. And this is the situation we're having right now. Mm-hmm. As you said, there's a direct connection also to the environment and what's going on in the environment. I th- I personally think that the paradigm of profit maximization has to, and potentially with the crisis that's coming up, might be challenged by a paradigm where it's about creating purpose in life. There is a true chance. I believe yeah. there is potentially... I mean... My perspective really is, if we make it through this crisis with a system change in many respects, and one of it is capitalism, not because it is bad, but it's just not the system anymore. It's 200 years old, and it's uh, not the system anymore that's suitable for our current times and the future. So I think... What this crisis that I believe is coming up, if it hits us hard enough, and if we are forced to make major changes, then we have a true chance to actually transcend to a next level of humanity. And that would uh, include the operating system that our world is run by, and this is basically our economy. And uh, capitalism is not the system that is, from my perspective, is not the system that is suitable in the world with uh, these environmental problems that we have and not Mm -hmm. suitable for a world with exponential technologies um, that we have right now and uh, the the, the direction it's heading. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, that's true. I've seen a lot of, over the last, I'd say, five years, what's called impact investing. So, and, you know, investors are are changing their minds on the types of things that that they're investing in where it's not just about the return anymore. And so I I see that growing, social innovation, social entrepreneurship, I see that growing a lot. So that's, that's definitely good news. And this is why I'm involved in those types of projects because that's the kind of thing that I want to move forward. I would like to ask you a final question and uh, it is exactly connected to what you also just said right now. When you see yourself as a wise old woman in a few decades from now and look back to your life, which impact would your life have had on humanity with your life, with what you have done? I want to have had been instrumental in bringing forth some technologies that change the world. Like I, I want people to, 
I don't necessarily need to get into any books or any kind of like permanent monument or anything like that. That that's not not something. But I would like people to sort of look back and say, you know what? If I never met Bobby, this never would have happened. And I would like a lot of people to be able to say, if I never met her, I would never have been able to do that. Um, so that's that's the type of it's just amongst people, not not anywhere, you know, permanent, but amongst people, I would like people to be able to say that. Thank you yeah. very much. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you, you for sharing. Thank you for your My time. Pleasure. And I wish you a good day. Thank you. You as well. Thank you for staying tuned for this edition of Challenging Paradigm X. If you like this episode with Bobby Bidochka, feel free to share it with your community so Bobby's message gets spread even further. Also, please hit subscribe, rate the episode, and I'd be glad about a review. If you like my podcast, you can support it through Patreon. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to contact me. Next week, we're up with Nathalie Riviere. Amongst other things, we'll talk about communication and marketing. So until then, I wish you a great week and say ciao.